Chapter Sixteen of Gossip in a Library. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eugene Smith. Gossip in a Library by Edmund Gosse. Chapter Sixteen. Pompey the Little. The history of Pompey the Little, or the life and adventures of a lapdog. London, printed for M. Cooper at the Globe in Paternoster Row, 1751. In February 1751, the town, which had been suffering from rather a dreary spell since the acceptable publication of Tom Jones, was refreshed and enlivened by the simultaneous issue of two delightfully scandalous productions, eminently well adapted to occupy the polite conversation of ladies at drums and at the card-table. Of these, one was the memoirs of a lady of quality, so oddly foisted by Smollett into the third volume of his Peregrine Pickle. This was recognized at once as being the work of the frail and adventurous Lady Vane, about whom so many strange stories were already current in society. The other puzzled the gossips much longer, and it seems to have been the poet Gray who first discovered the authorship of Pompey the Little. Gray wrote to tell Horace Walpole, who had written the anonymous book that everybody was talking about, adding that he had discovered the secret through the author's own carelessness, three of the characters being taken from a comedy shown him by a young clergyman at Magdalen College, Cambridge. This was the Reverend Francis Coventry, then some twenty-five years of age. The discovery of the authorship made Coventry a nine-days hero, while his book went into a multitude of editions. It was one of the most successful jeux d'esprit of the eighteenth century. The copy of the first edition of Pompey the Little, which lies before me, contains an excellent impression of the frontispiece by Louis Boitard, the fashionable engraver-designer, whose print of the Ranlate Rotunda is so much sought after by amateurs. It represents a curtain drawn aside to reveal a velvet cushion on which sits a graceful little Italian lapdog with pendant silky ears and sleek sides spotted like the pard. This is Pompey the Little, whose life and adventures the book proceeds to recount. Quote, Pompey, the son of Julio and Phyllis, was born A.D. 1735 at Bologna in Italy, a place famous for lapdogs and sausages. End quote. At an early age, he was carried away from the boudoir of his Italian mistress by Hilario, an English gentleman illustrious for his gallantries, who brought him to London. The rest of the history is really a chain of social episodes, each closed by the incident that Pompey becomes the property of some fresh person. And in this way we find ourselves in a dozen successive scenes, each strongly contrasted with the others. It is the art of the author that he knows exactly how much to tell us without wearying our attention, and is able to make the transition to the next scene a plausible one. There is low life as well as high life in Pompey the Little, sketches after Hogarth, no less than studies a la Watteau. But the high life is by far the better described. Francis Coventry was the cousin of the Earl of that name, he who married the beautiful and silly Maria Gunning. 
when he painted the ladies of quality at their routs and drums masquerades and hurly-burlies he knew what he was talking about for this was the life he himself led when he was not at college even at cambridge he was under the dazzling influence of his famous and fashionable cousin henry coventry fellow of the same college of magdalen author of the polite philomonto hydaspes dialogues and the latest person who dressed well in the university the embroidered coats of henry coventry stiff with gold lace his quote, most prominent roman nose end quote, and air of being much a gentleman were not lost on the younger member of the family who seems to paint him slyly in his portrait of mr williams the great charm of pompey the little to contemporaries was of course the fact that it was supposed to be a roman anglais the countess of butte hastened to send out a copy of it to her mother in italy and lady mary wortley montague did not hesitate to discover the likenesses of various dear friends of hers she found it impossible to go to bed till she had finished it she was charmed and she tells lady butte what the curious may now read with great satisfaction that it was quote, a real and exact representation of life as it is now acted in london end quote. What is odd is that Lady Mary identified with absolute complacency the portrait of herself as Mrs. Qualmsick, that hysterical lady with whom, quote, it was not unusual for her to fancy herself a glass bottle, a teapot, a hayrick, or a field of turnips, end quote. Instead of being angry, Lady Mary screamed with laughter at the satire of her own whimsies of how, quote, red was too glaring for her eyes green put her mind of willows and made her melancholic blue remembered her of her dear sister who had died ten years before in a blue bed in fact all this fun seems for the moment at least to have cured the original mrs qualmsick of her whimsies and her remarks on pompey the little are so good-natured that we may well forgive her for the pleasure with which she recognized lady townsend in lady tempest and the countess of orford in the pedantic and deistical lady sophister who rates the physicians for their theology and will not be bled by any man who accepts the doctrine of the immortality of the soul coventry's romance does not deserve the entire neglect into which it has fallen it is sprightly and graceful from the first page to the last not written indeed by a man of genius it is yet the work of a very refined observer who had been modern enough to catch the tone of the new school of novelists the writer owes much to fielding who yet does not escape without a flap from one of pompey's silken ears coventry's manner may be best exemplified by one of his own bright passages of satire this notion of a man of quality that no place can be full that is not crowded with people of fashion is not new but it is deliciously expressed aurora has come back from bath and assures the count that she has had a pleasant season there quote, you amaze me cries the count impossible madam how can it be ladies i had letters from lord monkeyman and lady betty scornful assuring me that except yourselves there were not three human creatures in the place let me see i have lady betty's letter in my pocket i believe at this moment oh no upon recollection i put it this morning into my cabinet where i preserve all my letters of quality 
aurora smothering a laugh as well as she could said she was extremely obliged to lord monkeyman and lady betty for vouchsafing to rank her and her sister in the catalogue of human beings but surely added she they must have been asleep both of them when they wrote their letters for the bath was extremely full full cries the count interrupting her oh madam that is very possible and yet there might be no company that is none of us nobody that one knows for as to all the tremontaines that come by the cross-post we never reckon them as anything but monsters in human shape that serve to fill up the stage of life like ciphers in a play for instance you often see an awkward girl who has sewed a tail to a gown and pinned two lappets to a nightcap come running headlong into the rooms with a wild frosty face as if she was just come from feeding poultry in her father's chicken-yard or you see a booby squire with a head resembling a stone ball over a gate-post now it would be the most ridiculous thing in life to call such people company tis the want of titles and not the want of faces that makes a place empty there are indications which i think have escaped the notice of goldsmith's editors that the author of the citizen of the world condescended to take some of his ideas from pompey the little in count tag the impoverished little fop who fancies himself a man of quality and who begs pardon of people who accost him in the park quote, but really lady betty or lady mary is just entering the mall we have the direct prototype of beau tibbs while mr rymer the starving poet whose furniture consists of quote, the first act of a comedy a pair of yellow stays two political pamphlets a plate of bread and butter three dirty nightcaps and a volume of miscellany poems end quote. is a figure wonderfully like that of goldsmith himself as dr percy found him eight years later in that quote, wretched dirty room end quote, at the top of breakneck steps green arbor court the whole conception of that dickens-like scene in which it is described how lady frippery had a drum in spite of all local difficulties is much more in the humour of goldsmith than in that of any of coventry's immediate contemporaries strangely enough in spite of the great success of his one book the author of pompey the little never tried to repeat it he became perpetual curate of edgware and died in the neighbouring village of stanmore parva a few years after the publication of his solitary book i have however searched the registers of that parish in vain for any record of the fact francis coventry had gifts of wit and picturesqueness which deserved a better fate than to amuse a few dissipated women over their citron waters and then to be forgotten End of chapter sixteen